Monday, February the 13th, one day before Valentine's Day, the day Cupid will shoot his poison-tipped arrows into the hearts of young lovers. I'm going to continue on uh, with the theme that uh, we started last week on love stories. And today I'm going to read you just an excerpt from a story, uh, a book I actually wrote uh, a few years back called Beautiful Dying. Before we do that, I wanted to just mention a couple of things. You can find my books at my website, uh, jhurdle.com, or of course on amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And if you like Audible or audio editions, you can find them, four of them, on Audible uh, for your listening pleasure. So that's the business side of things. Let's get to the storytelling side of things. An excerpt from Beautiful Dying. Outside of Finnegan's Rock, Saturday night was alive and well. The cold wind hadn't deterred many. The streets that make up Entertainment Square were crowded with young couples holding hands as they strode under the streetlights. Rowdy groups of college students laughing and talking, some singing out of tune. The contrast with the inside of Finnegan's Rock was surreal. We walked east down Main Street, not talking. Four blocks later, the crowds had thinned as we left the entertainment district and entered the business district. Here, silent buildings that housed boating stores and fishing shops lined the boulevard. Two blocks over was the cannery where most of the college students worked part-time deheading fish and preparing them for an afterlife in tin cans that would be delivered to hungry cats across the land. The unpleasant smells from the cannery were strong, carried by the swirling winds. Fifteen minutes later, the odor of dead fish was left behind as we crossed into the deserted tourist lair. The souvenir stores had sewed their last t-shirts and collector spoons two months ago. The summer had given way to the cool New England autumn. The building stood with boarded-up windows and delightful signs saying, See you next summer. The unforgiving winds had chased most of the clouds offshore, revealing a half-moon, delivering a night light to the land below. The other half hidden in the shadows or running off to wherever nebulous moons go. The only other, the only other light on the darkened streets came from an all-night convenience store appropriately called Bob's Bait and Beer. An orange neon sign above the entrance flickered rapidly, adding an electric cadence to the otherwise silent night. I'm going to grab a pack of smokes, I told her. Do you want anything? If they have hot chocolate, that would be nice, she answers as we cross the street. Inside, the counter clerk, a pimply-faced millennial, looked up for just a moment before, before returning his attention to a rather fat textbook as we walked past him and the chest freezers filled with bait and beer. She went to the ladies' room as I searched for the coffee counter. At last, I discovered a machine offering lattes and hot chocolate, which it spat from a plastic tube. The tube appeared to have last been cleaned when the pimply-faced clerk was still in diapers. A small decal directed me to stop when the container was two-thirds full, implying that it would add the last third without my assistance. And it didn't. 
From a stained glass pot, I poured myself a cup of burnt coffee and carried it and her two-thirds cup of hot chocolate to the counter, where she was already standing. I asked my late-night companion if she desired anything else, to which she said no. And then we interrupted the pimply face with our purchase plus a couple of packs of smoke. Cheaper when you buy two, he informed me. Hey, he said, tilting his head. Don't you teach at Crawford? Crawford is the local community college where professors, found to be lacking by previous employers, spend their last year's teaching for embarrassingly low wages. I do, confirming his assessment, and then in my best friendly teacher's voice, told him to get back to studying. Back outside, the temperature had dropped under a now clear sky. The warmth coming from the coffee, and I'm certain her cocoa, was consumed quickly by the night's air. You're a teacher? she asked as we returned to our journey. I am. Do you teach about dying? <laughs> I laughed. You are tenaciously obedient to your line of questioning. You should have been a cop. How do you know I'm not? She stopped and looked at me. I guess I don't, I answered. I started to follow up with the paradigmatic, are you? But I didn't really want to know. Hours were slipping away. I had no desire to gain knowledge that would be prone to complicate things further. We walked in silence for the next 20 minutes before reaching the old boardwalk that marked the parting of asphalt and the arrival of the shoreline. The condition of the weathered railroad ties that formed the walk were so badly dilapidated that no one used it for its original purpose. To do so would certainly lead to a twisted, or worse, a broken ankle. Taking hold of my hand, she carefully stepped across the ties and onto the waiting sand. Unexpectedly, she had taken my hand. Unexpectedly, she did not let go. We walked another 30 yards or so. Yellow sweater, hidden under my drab gray coat, leading the way. Before arriving at one of the dozen park benches sitting crooked in the sand, some canted to the right, others to the left, no rhyme or reason. She chose one that was lit by a mercury vapor light 40 feet above our heads. Like everything else, the vapor light seemed to be falling away and fading out, flickering, but never quite losing all its light. The moon had dropped in the sky, yet still too high to cast its reflection upon the water. Looking out over the Atlantic, the world seemed to go on forever into a darkness that could not be penetrated. Curious sounds came from every direction, purporting to come together like an out-of-place orchestra. The sea's tide had reached a high mark. The wave was slapping playfully against the wet sand, providing the rhythm section. The night breeze traveled through the hollow pipes that framed the lifeguard's tower, softly humming a deep brass sound. Somewhere a shop owner had forgotten to remove a wind chime made of simnia shells. Tinkling together, they sounded like a miniature piano. This unusual ensemble was accompanied by Adele crying, Hello, the music coming from the beach. Not too far away, a young couple sitting together, arm in arm, her head upon his shoulder, a radio tucked between them, 
hello from the outside. I took these, I took in these sights and sounds while quietly sipping the stale cold coffee. So, Jacko, what do you know about dying? She leaned her shoulder against mine, looking out into the darkness. Everything, remember? What type of cancer did your wife have? I tossed the coffee cup at a nearby trash container, missing. The wind grabbed the cup and ran off somewhere to play with it. Did you really bring me out here to this cold beach in the middle of the night to talk about dying? I smiled. She leans in, her face so close to mine I could taste her fading perfume. Lavender. It was like a sweet lavender. Brushing her soft lips lightly against mine, she said, yes, I did. <laughs> I cupped my hands against the cold wind and lit a cigarette, one for her and one for me. She didn't have cancer, I said. I thought you said she died from cancer. No, I said I'd seen the ugliness of dying. That was someone else. She was a co-worker, a teacher. She taught physics at Crawford Com. She was a good friend. By the time she was 35, she had fought breast cancer twice. The second time was too much, and she lost the battle. I'm sorry, she pauses. How did your wife die? I killed her. Her response was as unexpected as my own had been, more so. How? she asked. I drew deeply on my smoke before answering. There was a car accident. It was my fault. Is that when you had your near-death experience? What? I sat back looking at this strangely inquisitive woman. You said you had already died. Oh, it's not like that. That's not what I meant. So tell me. She took my hand again. It's a long story. I wouldn't even know where to begin. All stories begin somewhere. Good ones, bad ones, and somewhere in between stories. They only need someone to tell them. She pointed her slender finger at me. And someone to listen. She placed her hands over her heart. She laughed, and so did I. Like a song, I said. Yeah, like a song, a love song. She laughed again. So did I. So start telling me yours, Jacko. We have all night. I looked at her face, at her smile, into her eyes and at her hair. She was beautiful. Did I tell you that? For the first time in almost a year, the ominous agony that had taken residence in my soul loosened its grip, albeit ever so lightly. I started talking. She listened, only speaking at the perfect moments, saying only the perfect words. Before I finished, the young lovers nestled on the beach had faded away. The ocean's tide had rolled out to the deep. The sun had broken through the night's darkness and the tormentor's grip had eased a little more. <laughs>